0: Welcome to Have You Heard, the AABP podcast. My name is Dr. Fred Gingrich. I'm the Executive Director of AABP. And today we have a very important topic, which was... uh initiated due to a conversation that was happening on ABPL about managing the balance of parenthood and bovine practice, something I think all of us as cattle veterinarians probably struggle with uh, at one point in time or another during our career. So today we have a couple of parents. Uh, We have Dr. Mark Hardesty and Dr. Amy Bartholomew. So Amy, we'll start with you. Go ahead and introduce yourself, please.
1: I'm Amy Bartholomew. I'm part of a six vet Uh, practice in Northern Vermont. We do all large animals, but we're probably 70% dairy. Uh, I went to Bates College and graduated in 1988 and took a year off before I applied to vet school and went to the University of Pennsylvania as a mixed animal practitioner and graduated in 1993. And then I did an internship and a residency in field service at New Bolton Mm -hmm. Center. And when I left there in 95, I got married and moved to Vermont and worked at a couple different private practices one Was mixed, one was all large, and one was all small. And it was they were all part time jobs, equaling more than a full time job because I was trying to get my loans down. And then uh, my husband Rick and I started Cold Hollow Vet Service in northern Vermont in 1999, and that's
2: where I am now.
0: And Mark, why don't you introduce uh, yourself, please?
2: I'm an Ohio farm boy, grew up on a small dairy. I have a bachelor's in dairy science, a master's in dairy nutrition and management, and a DVM all from OSU. Graduated my DVM in 1988. I've never applied for a job. I bought the practice when I was a senior in vet school uh, with my wife. Uh, She was in her third year of practice. And uh, it's grown from a solo practice when we bought it now to eight doctors and three different clinics. It's always been a mixed practice. Um, It was 65% dairy and 20% swine, 15% pets when we bought it. Now it's 50% dairy, 50% pets. Of course, a lot larger than it was then. I do dairy, beef, and cows. Um, cows are my small animals.
0: <laughs> yeah, and Mark is one of my mentors. He's, uh, he's my, uh, uh, been my lifeline on more than one occasion. And Mark, you're also uh, representing District 4 in AABP. Uh, so thank you for your service to AABP. Um, Let's start, and Amy, will start with you, and uh, tell us about your kids and and their ages and and, uh, uh, when you had uh, started a family uh, as far as your veterinary career.
1: So when I was working for a different practice, I had Noah, and then when he was one, we moved up here and started our practice, and when I worked for somebody else, I was exhausted. I was a terrible pregnant person. And so I actually went on a percentage of gross where I didn't take any calls after three o'clock in the afternoon because I literally couldn't move. And so we did come to some kind of balance there at the practice where I could still work, but I wasn't dying. (laughs) And then when we came up here, it was just Rick and I and I had Emily within the first year and then Two years later, we had Travis, so we had three kids, and we didn't hire another vet until uh, when Travis was born, so it was just us with the three little guys in the beginning.
0: Yeah. And you
1: want to know about them now? Sure. sure. So now Noah is 22, and he's a welder, and Emily is in college. Um, she lives in an apartment in central Vermont, and then our youngest, Travis, just flew out to Hawaii for helicopter pilot school.
0: Fantastic. <laughs> And, Mark, how about you?
2: Um, our oldest daughter, Megan, was born in our fourth year of owning the practice. Uh, kind of amazingly, it was exactly nine months after our first associate had a weekend on call. Um, she's now <laughs> 29, and she's married to a farmer, and he also does uh, high level maintenance in a factory where he fixes the presses. <laughs> And uh, she's a food scientist for a major food supplier. They have two children, a son that's almost four, acts like he's 12 or 15, and a daughter that's almost two. And then we were very surprised that 19 months after the first one was born, we had our second daughter, and she's now 27. She works in administration at Ohio State, and her husband is in management at a garage door manufacturer. And they live about 60 miles away and have a daughter almost two. I forgot to mention that our oldest daughter, Megan, lives about 20 miles from us and, uh, you know, right in the middle of the practice area, actually. And uh, Molly is the name of our second daughter.
0: Great, great. And uh, let's talk a little bit about, you know, how your practices have changed uh, and, and how your role in the practice has changed. And Maybe did those changes um, have any positive or negative effects on your parenting role? Mark, we'll start with you on this one.
2: Okay. Um, When our children were born and when they were small, my practice was all local dairy farmers. Didn't go much more than 30, 40 miles from, from home base, and there were times when your call met up, the driveways met across from each other and you drove across the next one. You might've done 12 calls and only drove 60 miles in a day. My wife's swine practice at the time when they were small, covered all of Ohio, some in Indiana and a little bit of Pennsylvania. And she also had a university appointment at the university of Illinois. So that made some challenges for me um, at that time. Um, is that she'd be gone and I'd have kids and I was most of that time there were four of us as doctors, but sometimes there were only two, my wife and I. And so I'd have a call and we just had to go. Um, We still have a local dairy component. That's pretty significant, but we have a lot of practice. Probably two thirds of our dairy practice is an hour to three hours away. Uh, Tomorrow morning I'm leaving at five to go three and a half hours away to spend a whole day consulting on one farm. Um, it'd be very difficult to do what I did in the practice we have now because it was pretty common when our, our girls were preschool for me to stop home for lunch. Uh, you're not going to do that when you're an hour away. So I was, I was fortunate that my timing at least worked out that way. Um, I was almost always home at 630 to relieve our nanny and depending on which time period we're talking about, we didn't did supper, uh, barn chores and homework. Um, sometimes in an nanny made s- supper, sometimes that was my deal. Um, one thing I did notice is when you fix supper after you've worked all day, you tend to eat the whole time you're making supper and then you need <laughs> supper. So you have to eat supper. Um, but, uh, that's just a, a personal challenge when you're putting in long days. Um, um, my daughters describe me as always being tired. I think that's probably true. Um, my wife oftentimes would leave early in the morning and drive across the state. And then the way that works is you go to the farrowing operation and then all the different finishers that were associated with it. So she wouldn't get home till two in the morning. Um, that put a lot of childcare on me and meal prep as well. Um, I think our doctors now have a lot more regular hours where they may be leaving at four thirty in the morning for a big herd check, but they're done at three, and they can kind of count on they're not going to work after five almost at all, unless that's a the night they happen to be on call.
0: Yeah, really, uh, uh, almost a, a reverse role from tradition, right, Mark? Where you were doing that, and 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 uh, your wife was was on the road. Amy, how? What are some changes that occurred over your career so far and how did that impact your role as a parent?
1: Well, it's just like Mark's practice where we started off in a fairly small area and now we'll drive, you know, an hour and a half to a call. And so early on when the kids were little and in daycare, you could stop in and pick them up and take them to your next call if you were running behind or, you know, one of us was probably finished before the other, but now you're so far away, even if you're done when daycare closes, you're not anywhere near it. So for us, um, owning the practice and having the right people on staff was so important to us. Um, We added an office manager just after Emily was born and an on-road assistant, and these employees were like family to us. They would help out with the kids. Our office manager at the time also had three kids, and they were at the same take care. And probably once a week, she ended up picking them up, bringing them to her house, she'd feed them dinner, you know, and then whichever one of us, Rick or I were free, we'd go and pick them up and bring them home. And we could have never made it through those first early years without her. I mean, she was just invaluable. Um, And we've had our current office manager with us in Enosburg for 13 years. And when I interviewed for her position, I told everyone that came, this is not just an office job. You know, it was in the house at the time the practice was. And the kids were still small, and I said, You know, you're gonna be part of the family, and you can bring your kids here when they're sick and home from school or a little bit on vacations. And the same thing goes for when our kids are sick, they might be home with you. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's kind of a win win situation for us. And again, I don't know how I could have done it without her because you get thrown curveballs all the time where a kid's sick, but you're supposed to be someplace. And she was really willing to help us out. Um, And I think early on in the practice, it was more like a family. And partly that was probably because it was in the house. Um, But now we've grown to six vets. We have a satellite clinic and we drive far and it doesn't have that same feel. Uh, We're on call less than we were before. But I think the time that I would have spent working out on the road, I'm now managing people. So it's completely different. I might be home, but I'm not still at the house you know the office is behind the house now in an apartment but uh which is nice because you can have somebody bring a goat by and you can start dinner and get do the goat quitting and go back and finish dinner um so I think for our family having it in the house and being owners really helped our family um and the kids I asked them before this podcast you know what did they like and they said oh we really liked having Casey there you know because even if you weren't home we could you know, ask her a question or she could help us open a jar or, you know, whatever. So, um, you know, I think for us, the practice has changed where it's not that same kind of family feeling. Um, and the kids are older now, but really those early years, we had to have the right people on staff in order for it to
0: work. Yeah. And I, I remember those times, uh, when I was in practice and, and had a young family and, uh, Mark, you're right. I was tired all the time. It was, uh, that was probably the biggest challenge was, is then when I wasn't working, um, on call on the weekend, I was, I was, I was sleeping, you know, I was trying to catch up on sleep and household chores. And, you know, that can cause a stress to a marriage, of course, and both of you are married to veterinarians. So, um, Amy, why don't you give us, uh, I'll ask each of you, but we'll start with Amy. Why don't you give us one, uh, uh, pro and one con of being married to uh, a veterinarian and, and, and both of you are in partnership with your veterinarians too.
1: Yeah. in vet school, I can remember people would say, oh, don't marry another vet. You're just going to (laughs) try to compete with each other and it won't work. But I'm always like, Rick, you can be the best vet. That's fine. (laughs) Go ahead." (laughs) And he says the same to me. And we've kind of split the practice duties um, to what we like and what, we're good at, um, and so that's worked for us. But I think the number one pro is that he gets it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if you come home from a terrible calving or somebody's bad colic and he just understands where I'm coming from. And I think that's really hard for some of our associates whose significant others aren't immersed in the business where it's kind of hard to understand why you get called out at crazy hours and things like that. They get used to it, but it is kind of a big challenge, I think for them. In The beginning. Um, and then I think the con is that especially being practice owners, we were rarely truly off. And I think that was hard on the kids because you say, OK, I'm going to come to your science fair and then you get a calving and you're on call. That's already out. So you go and pick up the slack and you don't make it to the science fair. Um, and what how we got around that was getting more people on staff. And then we also got a place that's about two and a half hours away from here, with no cell phone service. And so, when we weren't on call on a weekend, we'd take the kids down there, and then we were truly off. And so, I think that was beneficial. Yeah.
0: yeah. When when I when I applied for this job with AABP, uh, and Mark is aware of this, my my wife Michelle said, "That's great." Uh, I want you to go for it, but when you're home, I want you to be home. And uh, I remember uh, Mark asked me about a year later if that was going well, and I told him, "Yeah, it's better <laughs> because we do take our work home." Mark, how about uh, uh, being married to a veterinarian? What are your thoughts on a, on a on a pro and a con of that situation? Well, the the pro is your
2: spouse should understand what you're doing and why. Mm-hmm. The cons are. They have a demanding schedule as well, and they can't always support you as much as you may need. I happen to be married to a baby booner veterinarian that's 24-7. She wakes up thinking about the practice. She doesn't ever go to sleep, but when she does, she's still thinking about the practice. And so everything is fair game to her to talk about it at any time. And that's not the way I prefer to operate i like to have some downtime or to do some other things and she's kind of challenged by the fact that i'm kind of a slacker and, it, and i only work half days those are about 12 hours <laughs> and i only want to do that about five and a half days a week and um there's times we can we can really help each other get things done uh less so than ever before because i've I've lost any skills I might have ever had for doing small animals. Um, My swine skills are totally obsolete by now because that's all moved on. And so, you know, there's times we can be that real powerhouse together, but realistically it's easier to work with an associate on a project that may be more in tune with what bovine medicine is now because they're doing it every day. Now, she does a lot of our export work for cattle because we just don't have time to get it done without her. Um, So she she dips into that quite a bit. But uh, she's of the style that that many in her class, and and I think in her class there were 17 veterinarian-veterinarian marriages.
1: Mm.
2: And that's probably a peak for Ohio State, but I mean that was you know, within the class there were that many. So that doesn't happen as often now as as it once did, and I don't know why and and don't know that we need to explain it either. But um she's of that perfectionist mentality. I have to remind her that perfection's the enemy of completion. And if I get things ninety-five to ninety-eight percent right but get a lot of things done, that's probably better than trying to be a hundred percent. But she'll sacrifice herself and all relationships to do things perfectly. There were months she never got home for supper. And so that's a decision that people have to make as to how they're going to run their lives. Um, So on the advice side, it's tough not to interject opinions that aren't asked for. So you may need to practice some restraint there, even though you might have an opinion. But if you're asked what your opinion is, you got to be sure you have one. Because if you don't have an opinion on the subject, then it's interpreted that you're not caring. So um, there are a lot of things I really don't care about. We have a large practice. There are a lot of things going on. I care about the people that work there, but I really don't care what the... Protocol is for cleaning the kennel. As long as we don't have a kennel cough or parvo outbreak or whatever other diseases dogs get.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's that's so true. You know, Mark, we've talked amongst AABP uh, many times about you know the the challenges in rural practice and the fact that we lose a lot of our, our new grads. They leave rural practice, and you know every year I would ask my associates during the review, "What don't you like about your job?" And for 20 years, they all said the same thing: being on call, emergencies. So um, I know my practice was probably not unique. It, it's probably the same as most practices, where the number of emergencies we've done, at least in dairy, and all of us here are primarily dairy, uh, the number of emergencies. Uh, declined a lot. And so what are some ideas, Mark, that uh, we can make emergencies more manageable for for our rural me- uh, practitioner members? Well, the the thing that's
2: made a difference for us is all the training we did in prevention and all the prevention things that we do. You know, vaccination programs, nutrition discussions, some of our cow comfort things that just bring an a healthier animal to to the forefront that we don't have as many things to deal with. Um, and then training on the cattle side to decrease the number of emergencies. For a little bit of perspective, in 1990, a third of our total gross was from emergencies and after hours calls. And if you were on call for the weekend, you expected to have three calls before church on Sunday you expected to have one or two calls most evenings after four. And I actually grew up in an environment and practice where I didn't mind emergencies too much. As long as they came in after I'd had my supper and before I took a shower. So I wasn't hangry and I didn't have to take another shower. So that wasn't too bad for me, but we've we've changed things a lot. And um, so at one point, It was a third of our total gross, but in 2019, it was less than 3% of our gross. And it came to about two per week for eight doctors. It's gone up since then because with COVID, people are sitting around looking at their dog and they're saying, you ain't right. You need to go see the vet. And then they're calling on that. But the cow emergencies just keep decreasing because our farmers get more skilled. Prevention works. In the early days of doing on-call When we came to this area, there was a different mentality amongst the older generation, which was they weren't going to miss a call and let the competitors, they didn't view their neighbors as neighbors, they were competitors, and they were going to cover anything at any time. There was a joke that you could call one of the neighboring practitioners here in the middle of the night at two in the morning and say, I got some calves to dehorn, he'd say, well, there's no time like the present. So... A lot of that emergency work, historically, we created ourselves, yeah, because the way we trained our clients. Mm-hmm. So straight away, almost from the very beginning, I instituted a five-dollar emergency fee, and for my clients, that made a, that was a big deal, that was a lot of money, and uh, I can remember sitting in a bar at ABP, believe it or not. And there, there are three of us there. And uh Mark Armfeld, who was a neighbor to you in practice, made the comment. He said, a fifty dollar emergency fee really makes a difference. And I said, What? $50? And uh, he said, Yeah. And and they stay as clients. And I said, Well, for my clients who are even more conservative, five dollars is enough. <laughs> And Greg Crosley was sitting there at the table and he says, for my clients, the Dutch immigrants, 25 cents is enough. (laughs) Make them not call for an emergency when they don't really need to. So we've had that, um, that transition. So the emergency fees are a big deal and need to do them straight away. And, and then training is just how to find a sick cow before 4 PM. And, um, people are doing that now when we do emergencies it's always been i do the cows and mitch does the pets there's hardly ever any hog emergencies anymore at one time there were when a finisher barn was going down with with purrs or whatever other the tge at one time and the diseases like that where lots of them were dying but it's pretty rare to have now we have these show pig people you have to pull pull pigs now that's that's an exercise in frustration <laughs> but uh So if I got a call and she was seeing a pet emergency, I'd I'd bring the girls when they were little to the clinic and she'd take care of them there and I'd go on my call. We lived across the street in those days. After we moved to the farm, which moving the farm was an exercise in uh, sanity, because when we lived across the street from the clinic, you could sit at the kitchen table, look out the front window and see the parking lot. And you knew every farmer's truck. So then you come back to the clinic and ask, you know, what's going on? We can't see it. You don't have to deal with it. So don't live across the street from the clinic. <laughs> just, just number two, don't do that. Um, most of the time we were at the farm, or at least half the time, the girls were big enough to stay at home on their own. There are times when the girls went on emergency with me. I had two car seats in my truck for for years. Um, sometimes you just had to go. The greater girl- So growing the practice was really the major part of reducing our emergency challenges. Um, We could arrange for our associates to be on call when my wife was away. And um, it also helped the associates because they went from being on call half the time to one day a week and every sixth weekend. Um, Our daughter started working at the clinic for pay when they were 14. Because nobody else would hire them, they had too many activities and it couldn't make anybody's any real schedule. But the really big plus is by going on calls and being part of that and then working at the clinic, they know what we do and why. And they could probably still step in to many of the rules because they grew up in it. And actually, one of our daughters did that in the last year on a Saturday. So, um, emergencies are part of the deal. We can minimize the challenge with that. A lot of that happens with practice, growth, and training of the
0: clients. Yeah, i have I have such fond memories of of taking some of my kids on on calls and and having them watch me deliver calves and uh, car seats in the truck. Uh, you know, I, that those are good memories uh, for me, um, even though. Uh, it was highly stressful (laughs) while it was happening. Um, Amy, let's, let's talk about uh, where you found support, Um, you know, especially when your kids were young, you mentioned that, you know, you had your, your office staff help. Did you have any other forms of support uh, with, with your children?
1: Well, early on, we didn't have any family members here. Mm -hmm. um, And so, we really had to rely on the community. And when you have three kids they are in activities and then you find other moms that also have multiple kids. And so we would kind of make a schedule and I would do Taekwondo on Wednesdays and somebody else would do Fridays. And so you can kind of make out a schedule. And if you have three kids all in ball and they're having games on the same night in three different towns and one of you's on call, you're not gonna get to the game anyway with three kids. So, you know, you try to trade around and get to each kid's activity, but, you know, really having community assistance. And then eventually um, my father-in-law moved back into the area and he was a vet um, at New Bolton center for a really long time and he got bored with retirement. So when our first um, associate had her first baby um he came in and, and he did some work for us and it was kind of nice because he could either do kid pickup or he could feed them something or he could do on call or he could work or he could answer the phones or, you know, so um, we didn't have a whole lot of family help until they moved back into the area. But, you know, I really think people have to think out of the mm-hmm. box about, you know, who can help you. We tried to hire like a high school kid to drive them to certain things Um because I wasn't going to be home to get them to practice because it started early. Um, I know our neighbor growing up had grandma Gladys, you know, and so she would come to the house and take care of the kids. And I think it's hard because traditional daycare, you know, our original daycare was eight to four and we weren't done at four. And um, until Casey came, I was also getting three kids ready in the morning for school and answering the telephones, which was insane. I don't know how I ever did that. you know, so having my office staff come in early so I could get the kids ready for school also helped. But, you know, I think it's, it's such a struggle to come up with what do you do when you're on call and, you know, you don't have somebody to come and watch the kids. You really have to think kind of outside of the box and see if you can get someone that can come and help you. It's not easy.
0: No, it's not. I think that's something that especially our younger listeners uh, of this podcast, uh, you know, it is a struggle. And and I think when you get to, to the ages of the people that are on this podcast, me, Mark, and Amy, you know, you look back and you do ask yourself, how did I do that? You know, one of the things, Mark, that we talked about on a podcast, one of our very first podcast episodes, um, I talked to Keelan Lewis, and uh, she has established um, a daycare uh, for, her, for her employees. And Um, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that? What are some opportunities and challenges? And, and, you know, because I think it is a, something that, uh, both our, uh, moms and dads that are veterinarians, you know, are concerned with daycare, especially when they're in rural communities, the crazy hours, drop everything at the, when the phone rings, if, if it's an emergency. So give us some of your thoughts on that, Mark. Well, we sure thought about it, um. We have 35 employees,
2: and a lot of them are young, childbearing women. and It would be a great benefit to offer to them, and um, so we thought about it at one point, and then we didn't have a building that would make sense. Now we have two different buildings on our campus that could could make sense. And we've we've seen people like Keelan make that work. The, the, we've never done it because it's just one more thing to manage, and. We sure have a lot going on, and I suppose having a a daycare worker not show up is kind of like having a groomer not show up, but we can just send the dogs back home. We don't have to groom them, or they can sit in a cage all day. Well, the kids can't sit in a cage all day. (laughs) You got to take care of them. So my worry was that if we tried to do it, we wouldn't be able to do it well, and then it's... like so many things in our businesses it depends a lot on a person or a couple people to make that all happen and happen well and i guess we never looked for that person hard enough to say okay let's go let's do that um and then how it's like some of the other benefits we give like some forms of insurance is some people need it and some people don't and how do you uh, reconcile that with the people that don't need that benefit so that we've we've set still on that but we we could do it we might do it yet
0: yeah and i just like amy said you know uh, i would encourage our listeners to go back and listen to that podcast it's one of our first episodes with with keelan um and and she has also spoke at uh recent grad conferences and aabp conferences about uh some of those things and and i agree mark there's some significant challenges there um, but as Amy said, let's think outside the box. Maybe it's not in clinic, uh, daycare. Maybe it's, you know, uh, some other, uh, form of assistance for your employees and, and associates. Now let's do some self-evaluation. Uh, it's, it's really easy for me to identify all the things that I did poorly, <laughs> but let's, Amy, we'll start with you and, and say one thing that you think you did well, uh, especially maybe when your kids were, were young and, and, and really needed that, you know, they rely on their parents for everything from eating to to cleaning. Uh, one thing that you did well, and and one thing that you think that you could have done better.
1: Uh, I think that's hard. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I think moms think that they don't do anything well sometimes, (laughs) especially mom and vet. Mm -hmm. It's hard to do everything, but I think, I probably did juggle things well, you know, starting a startup practice, you know, that's grown to the point now with six vets and raising three kids and still running the business and everything. Um, You know, I guess that's probably what I did well. I wanted to have independent kids. That was my main goal from the very beginning. And our oldest wanted to make sure that everyone knew that when he turned 6 on his birthday he had to make his own eggs and then also he was answering the phone in first grade and i'm not sure that's really true on the timeline of things but that is his impression so um you know they they did have to be a little bit self sufficient cuz they might be getting dressed and they had to turn around and i wasn't there they had to finish getting ready for school on their own but i think in the long run they were fine about that so you know i'd have to say Juggling and raising independent kids. And I think what could I have done better? A lot of things. Um, But I think we have to work on not beating ourselves up about what we could have done differently. Mm -hmm. I think in the end, I loved my life and what I've done so far, but um, I could have been more organized, I think. I fly by the seat of my pants a lot. (laughs) And so, you know, I was one of the ones that the mom would call and be like, you do know that today is this or that. Oh, right. You know, so uh, I think I could have been better organized, but it worked out just fine anyway. So
0: That's a a good evaluation. Mark, how about you?
2: Well, on the things I could have done better, to do it over again, I'd have passed more responsibilities to associate doctors sooner because the prevailing philosophy amongst our staff, not necessarily mine, but I didn't do much to change this, was cow people call this practice because they want Mark. And they felt like they had to explain that somebody else was coming. And so they'd fill my schedule first, and then they'd fill the associate doctors. Doing that over, I'd have pushed it the other way. Because now it is that we fill all the associate doctors first, probably because they're better cow doctors than I am. So that's who the clients should get. And then when nobody else can get there, they, they give it to me. And as a practice owner and a lot of the other things I'm involved in, I always have a list on my desk of things that I could be doing if I didn't have calls. But um, I, just, I just switched that. Things I did, in my opinion, pretty well was I made my family a priority I did a good job of prioritizing my family I got the cross-country meets I picked the girls up at dance I went we went to 4-h meetings my wife was a Girl Scout leader or we band booster officers we took vacations and I could have said I'm too busy for that but uh, part of the objective of growing a practice was so we could do those things and we did them
1: I do wish I had taken more trips
0: <laughs> I, I think it I'm going to chime in and say that's probably the thing that I did one thing that I did well is we took a lot of family vacations. Now, I will fully admit that sometimes I would call the office and say put the checks in the printer so I can pay this this and this. Um but uh, and I would and I would print them remotely but uh, and so I did do some work but we took I have really great memories of taking my kids to the beach and to Disney and whatnot. So that's a good tip take your family on vacation.
1: Yeah, we went once a year for usually, you know, a two week trip, but we yeah. should have done it twice a year.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes.
1: Especially when they wanted to be with their parents. Now they don't want to be with their parents. so much. Yes,
0: that is true too. And when they say they don't want to get in the truck anymore, those are sad days. So that, that, that happens. Uh, Amy, let's talk a little bit about maternity leave. Um, and, and how did you manage that? How did you manage your maternity leave? How did you manage, um, you, you know, during your pregnancy? Uh, that's, that's a, one of the most common questions that my female associates got from students um, uh, was how did she manage that?
1: Yeah, so every pregnant person is different. Some people feel great and some people feel terrible, and I think you have to be ready for that curveball. Um I was working for uh, a couple different practices part time when I was pregnant with our first kid and I felt terrible. I was exhausted. You know, if I went to the grocery store, I'd have to lay on the couch before I could unload the groceries, and it was really hard to work, and you feel terrible that you're not pulling your weight at the practice, and so we sat down, and then they put me on a percentage of gross, and I didn't do any calls after three o'clock in the afternoon, so that way I knew I could work a set number of hours, and then go home and go to bed. Um, It and it's hard to do that, to take care of yourself when you feel like you're letting everybody down. But I I physically couldn't do it. Uh, the next two pregnancies weren't so bad and we worked for ourselves. Um, so I stopped doing a lot of the dangerous stuff probably at six months. It's hard to get into the cow to get the calf out when your belly's sticking way out. And to be honest, I think it was actually easier when I was pregnant than when I had a pregnant associate because... All I did was worry about her safety and the baby's safety. Um, and you know what kind of decisions you're gonna make, but you don't know what someone else is gonna do. So for her, we got an on-road technician that we hired right when we found out that she was pregnant and this person would ride with her. And you know if the horse was behaving badly, she would do the IV um, sedative. She was a licensed tech. And uh, you know if the cow was crazy and hard to catch, she would help her catch the cow. And so that at least gave me some peace of mind that, you know, somebody was out there looking out for her. But, um, you know, I think it large animal was probably easier than small animal, which does not sound like what most people would think, but small animal you're on your feet for 12 hours straight and at least large animal, you're in the truck, you get to sit down, you know, you can eat all the time if you want to. (laughs) And so, um, you know, I actually preferred large animal practice over small when I was doing mixed with our first kid. And then for uh, leave after the baby was born, I was working part-time in New York, so I did get a little bit of uh, New York gives you a partial payment for a certain number of weeks. So I took 12 weeks off with our first and then I don't recommend it, but with the second kid, uh, it was just Rick and I, and so I was scheduling his calls from the hospital room two hours after Emily was born, and that was when we decided to hire an office manager, because that was just a little crazy, um, and then with the third kid, a week after he was born, I was doing little things at the office, goat disbuds and things like that, um, but I think that was mainly just a sort of Pick up the slack, but uh, you know I think we gave our um, associate twelve weeks off. Unfortunately, it was unpaid. I would have loved to pay her, but we hired in Rick's dad to do the work uh, when she left, and so I think that makes it a little tricky. Sometimes you have to come up with some sort of plan if you're going to pay two people at the same time. But um, as far as paternity leave, we have one associate that's had two kids, and. Um, what we told him is we'll give him the time off while the mom and the baby are in the hospital. And then after that, it would be vacation time. But, you know, I, I can't think of any practice that would love to give 12 weeks paid to their associate. And I hope someday we can get there.
0: Excellent. Uh, Mark, how do you in your practice, you know, you have a, a large practice. How do you manage your uh, maternity and paternity leave? Well, that certainly changed over
2: time. In the, the days when my wife was pregnant, um, we had associates. We had one, uh, and then soon two um, by the time we had our second child. But uh, she didn't notice she was pregnant, um, so she took 10 days off postpartum and was back at it. We lived across the street, so the officer would call and say, we got this or that, and so-and-so can't get here for another two hours. Can you come and help? And She did. It was a little different for associates, a lot different, actually. Our first associate, um, we knew she was going to leave the practice when the baby was born because she lived 40-some miles away. And per her marital agreement, she was going to stay home. And so she worked until Labor Day, and then we didn't see much of her for a couple years when she came back to do some relief for us. That probably traumatized me for the next one when she announced that she was pregnant after she I'd I'd just been a thousand days on call when she hired in in a row thousand days in a row on call and uh, so she was getting up to speed she got married so here we are a year and a half later and she tells me she's pregnant and I know this has happened to other practitioners where you're like I just got great help now I'm not going to have great help well that's not true because pregnancy is not terminal. Pregnancy is temporary. And having children, yeah, that goes on for a while. But that's that's a different kind of a, a care thing. So um, we, we worked through that. We figured out the schedule. She had the baby and, and took six weeks off and then came back three days a week for another four weeks. And I've always let every doctor, I have to trust trust their judgment. That's why we pay them as doctors is because they have judgment. And so they decide, how's it going for them? How do they want things to go going forward? So that doctor since had two more children and she took six weeks off with each of them and came back full time. That was her choice. Uh, We've had uh, two other doctors that took eight weeks off. That was their choice. As far as financial, we have a, a stipend for pregnancy leave. So we're a little disparate that we don't offer that to the men, but only to the women. And then they can take all their uh, vacation time and sick time. And nobody's gone without a paycheck that's ever had a baby at Mary Stein Animal Clinic at my watch. So um, that that's worked out okay. I think what is maybe even more, uh, oh, let me cover paternity and then we'll talk about something that's more important yet than than, uh, um, than time off. Paternity, uh, we've had um, one man that uh, adopted some children and had a baby both and he took a week off each time that happened. And then we had uh, a doctor that his wife had twins he took two weeks off, and, and we knew it ahead of time, and we, we planned for that. And then we recently had another male doctor who had his fourth child, and he took a couple days. So we haven't provided a stipend to the men, but the way our schedule sits and the amount of vacation that we give people, nobody's ever run out of vacation time. So um, they, they take their vacation, and they're fine with that. The things that I consider important with pregnancy is safety. And we hired our first married female associate. Right away, we worked on training her clients to not have us give lute shots. And so that's, that's carried through. I think I have the only client that we give shots. I know some practices that's very common that they're given prostaglandin. Um, we also would switch Brucella vaccination, which we don't do anymore to a different doctor. Once they were pregnant, they know about radiation. They know about some of the other risks in the small animal side. And um, we, when they tell us they're pregnant, we talk about those risks and let them be their, the guide. Most of them know those risks better than I do and they they do a good job of managing.
0: Yeah, those are those are really good tips Mark uh to and and to have those conversations with our associates and and make sure that they are safe. Uh Amy, on on the on when we were discussing this thread on ABPL, one of the things you said was this is hard, be kind to yourself. And You know, we do beat ourselves up, especially as as parents, uh, as veterinarians. Many of us are uh, type A personality go-getters. How can we practice self-compassion?
1: I just think that you have to realize that every day in the moment that you do the best that you can you know, and you think, man, this day is terrible. I can't believe how bad it is. And then when you look back on that day, you think, boy, that really was a terrible day. You know, no wonder I was feeling that way. And so I think we're just too hard on ourselves. Um, You know, so I think that vets need to be kind to themselves, you know, and I don't think you're going to be the best parent or the best vet or the best spouse. You're just going to do the best that you can, and hopefully you're with somebody who understands that. And then try to focus on the important things and let the other things slide um, and try not to feel guilty about that. And then I would recommend communicating with your bosses and your coworkers. Um, And especially if you have coworkers that don't have children, uh, try to make sure that they're not picking up your extra work uh, just because you have kids, because I think that does, you know, create some animosity. Um, And then be flexible. You know, think outside of the box. Uh, Try to understand where your spouse is coming from. And, you know, our profession is hard and we're in the middle of it. But sometimes, you know, the people that are our support people don't quite understand or they need support as well, you know, because they're picking up the slack when you're running around like crazy. And so I I tell the students at the Summer Dairy Institute at Cornell, you know, they want to know about work-life balance. And I tell them, honestly, for me, it's been work life chaos and you just have to embrace it. And, you know, I do kind of like that very busy lifestyle. So, you know, that is partly my fault, but, um, you know, I think the balance is not really quite the right word. It's, it's going to be a little crazy, um, but, it's a lot of fun and I wouldn't trade it in for
0: anything. Mark, you're now a grandfather. Uh, You mentioned that in your introduction. So discuss that relationship with your grandkids and and how you make time for them with, with your schedule, the way it still is.
2: Yeah. Grandkids are a get out of jail free card. If you decide that you're going to go do something with them and you put it on the schedule and you say, you know, I have, Nate and Lily afternoons almost every week and it's on the schedule. People know that's where I'm going. That's what I'm doing. And nobody really tries to tromp on that. Um, my close grandkids, I, I spend every Wednesday evening with them. I usually leave the office between five and six. My further, further away granddaughter gets a cowpaw day about every month. And, um, my objective with that is to, to meet what my my four-year-old grandson calls my objective is that uh, I take them places they've never been and give them experiences they've never had. And guess what? That does the same thing for me. And it's it's so enriching to be able to do that and watch them grow and mature. And I think you see that differently in your grandchildren than you do in your own children. And that's partly because your, your own children, as they're growing, you see them every day, or at least hopefully you do with your grandchildren. You see them once a week, once a month, and, and they change so much in between. Um, On one of the cowpaw days with, with my granddaughter, um, Bernadette, we went to a large dairy who happens to be one of our, crankiest clients i mean this guy is difficult he's a perfectionist he expect us to be more than perfect 3500 cow dairy um just just a challenge for a lot of us to get along with him. and i texted him a couple days ahead and and said hey i'm going to be there or in the area it'll be okay if i bring my granddaughter and he said yeah we're pretty busy I pulled in he runs out to the truck I took her out of the car seat and he grabbed her and took off with her to see the chaos a whole nother side of that person there's probably another side of every client you've ever had a challenge with that you don't know that that comes out when they ha- they're dealing with a small child and so it's um, it's a whole nother level of fulfillment to spend time with your grandchildren and to uh, have them maybe see a little bit of what you do as well because that's part of what I do is almost every time I take the kids somewhere it has something to do with agriculture which for my close kids that live on a farm they get it for my further away one I'm not sure she always understands but she's taking it
0: in that's that's really great um I want to thank both of you for uh your comments on the AABPL thread, uh, sharing your life experiences as, as, uh, as cattle veterinarians and as parents. We, we talked about a lot of different, uh, tips today, uh, but a, a few were think outside the box, get, get a support team in place, uh, Both of our guests today talked about how they uh, managed having young children while they were also managing busy practices and being married to uh, veterinarians. Uh, Pass things on to your associates. I'm I'm guilty of that. Mark mentioned that. I was guilty of that. Uh, It's one of our jobs is to find our replacements. and, And so training your associates to do some of those things and allowing them to do it will free up more time for you. Train clients. One of the things I did in practice was we had a producer meeting every year and during that meeting, oftentimes we would be training them to do things which does decrease your emergencies, such as having a calving school or something like that. Take vacations. You'll never regret taking that time with your family uh, at all stages of your life. So, And then finally, as Amy said, be kind to yourself. This is hard. Uh, Liz Brock, our director from District 1, Uh, suggested this podcast, and one of the things she said when she spoke at the St. Louis recent grad conference this year was, we would never be friends with someone that talks to us like we sometimes talk to ourselves. And I wrote that down when she said that, and it is so true. So be kind to yourself, be a friend to yourself. This is hard, nobody's perfect, and just uh, celebrate those, those good days and good times within each day. Mark and Amy, thank you so much for participating in our podcast. Thank you, thank Fred. Thank you, Fred. <laughs>